Hi, thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm your host, Jacqueline. You're listening to the second season of Perfectionist. So on this week's episode, we'll be discussing Poison Princess by Cressley Cole. Cressley Cole is known for her work and her best-selling uh, series. It's a paranormal series called Immortals After Dark, which features supernatural creatures such as vampires, werewolves, and witches engaged in passionate and adventurous romances. Um, Cole's writing is celebrated for its captivating, captivating rather storytelling, intricate world building, and steamy romantic encounters. And you've read quite a few of her works, haven't you? Yes, I think I've read all of them. Except for the two in the series that we're currently working on, Day Zero, I haven't read, and neither have I read the final book, From the Grave. Um, but I've read all of the other ones. And yeah, it is um, Immortals After Dark is a very large series, and it's an ongoing series. And mm-hmm. yeah, like it'll be more than 20 books, you know, by the time it's done. I wonder if it'll even go into the 30s. That would be cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And is it following the same characters, or is that one kind of more... just a variety of different characters that you meet along the way. Yeah. So each book is focused on a different couple and it's each book is their, uh, I want to say love story, but it's, it's a, it's a faded mate situation. So each book is a faded mate pair or whatever. Um, But they are all, they, they're all um, intertwined. All of their lives are intertwined. I don't want to give away too much. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really good series. I highly recommend like people read it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've started collecting some, I I don't have the first one yet, so I want to read them in order. (laughs) Yeah. But I've I've started my collection. Yes. (laughs) But for (laughs) this episode, we are focusing on her young adult series because the rest of her series are all adults. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the Arcana Chronicles is her one young adult series. And we're starting with Poison Princess, which is the first book in the Arcana Chronicles, which is a post-apocalyptic young adult fantasy series. But even though it is young adult, I would say it very much lends itself to an adult audience as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. In this episode, we will be discussing various events that happen throughout Poison Princess, but we won't be providing like an in-depth plot analysis like how we did for season one with Throne of Glass. We we were very much chronologically in season one kind of going through uh, important aspects that happened through each uh, book. And some of those episodes, I believe we even had a couple that were over two hours long. Um, yes. And so, yeah. So to kind of like shorten episodes, because obviously that's a very long time for somebody to be listening to an episode, we decided to kind of change how we're doing things this time. We're going to um, instead highly recommend reading Poison Princess before listening to this very spoiler filled episode. In Poison Princess, we are introduced to Evangeline Green. On Evie's 16th birthday, a catastrophic event called the Flash destroys all organic matter and all bodies of water evaporate. Earth was transformed into a desert wasteland overnight. Evie is paired with an unlikely ally as she tries to survive the new world 
all while discovering there may be more to her than she ever knew. When the flash happens, they were kind of describing like these really beautiful lights were in the sky. Mm -hmm. And and that was kind of preceding the flash event, right? So although I know that obviously it it probably wasn't like a scientific event that was occurring necessarily, Mm -hmm. uh, my immediate thought was that it was a massive solar flare from the sun. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what a solar flare is, it's a sudden and intense eruption of energy from the sun's surface. Um, It releases a burst of electronic or electromagnetic rather radiation across the electromagnetic spectrum. And it just like hauls out in whatever direction that the burst was in. Mm -hmm. So if we, if it collides into us, earth, we often get, that's how um, Northern lights or Aurora Borealis is caused. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my other, my, my career, uh, you know, we had to learn a lot about this in order to capture them. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if the flares are big enough, they can cause disruptions to satellite communications, power grids, radio transmissions. But if you can imagine like a catastrophically huge solar flare, mm-hmm. um, you know, it would you know, cause of a cataclysmic apocalyptic event on Earth. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense. Now that you've kind of described it in like a scientific term of like what, if this event happened, how would we describe it scientifically? Like what is most likely to have happened? Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. And I mean, this is not a spoiler because we actually at where we have even gotten up to reading um, and even like you or myself, I haven't read the final book yet. And I don't know that we'll get more information on that. We just know that it happened and therefore these events are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it is scientific like what I just mentioned, but that was it. Now I can't say my theory because I don't want to give spoilers. Yeah. What we do know about the Flash within the story is that it, like, created all these creatures. And the one that's, like, the most – well, I guess it didn't create a bunch of creatures. It created one creature in particular that was very interesting because it's like a zombie and a vampire had a baby. And they're called Bagmen? Yeah. Beggars? Beggars. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was a really cool because we get a lot of uh, in the supernatural kind of stories, you get a lot of zombies, you get a lot of vampires, and this is a little hybrid. And I was like, oh, look at this little creature, this nasty little thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, they, just, they, they're they described so gross, too. Like, they sound mm-hmm. so disgusting. Yeah. Like, the kind of, like, moistness. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <skin>. everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I have to be said, like, that is, like, that word, how you're feeling right now, that is embodies... Their yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, they were like created somehow from the flash. So these creatures didn't exist before. But after the flash, they all of a sudden were thriving. And they are like zombie creatures, but they drink blood because they're like thirsting for water. And at first you think it's like, oh, they're drinking blood because all the water has evaporated. Mm-hmm. But then at some point later on, that could be a mild spoiler, but it's not that big of a deal. No. They, it's it's known that they're craving the blood. They prefer the blood over water if they have yeah. a choice of either. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's mentioned in Poison Princess, but it, it doesn't necessarily change the dynamic between people and bagmen. Like, either way, whenever a bagman sees a person, he's like, mm-hmm. ah, I must drink your blood. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, if you get bit by them and survive, then you turn into a bagman, like mm-hmm. the zombie. Or yeah, it's like a virus really. or something, or who mm-hmm. knows? <laughs> like, again, here I'm trying to, like, make it scientific and make it make sense, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting like, kind of creature to come out of the Flash. Yeah, as if the Flash isn't horrific enough, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a few other um, kind of strange things. For some reason, women are affected more. And mm-hmm. do you, like, without telling us what the answer is, do you eventually find out? Or have you gotten to a point in the story where that is explained? I am still mystified by that. Yeah. All we know is that women were more impacted. uh, And so therefore they are a rare and a commodity and they're very, very valuable Mm -hmm. in after the flash, which makes life much more dangerous for women. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. And I hope that we get answers at some point. If not, yes. we might have to scour the internet to see if anyone has theories on that. If anyone yes. has theories without, like, spoiling anything, mm-hmm. let us know. Because this is the one thing that I keep going back to. Like, why the women? Why? And why because it women? becomes, like, a pretty big plot point. In Not not really, but it's, like, I guess a side plot point of always coming back to the women being a, a commodity. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that is going to become a greater message or theme that is being... Like, is this being used to discuss a bigger issue? Right. Okay. I have a thought about that, but I'm not too sure if it would be a spoiler. So I'm just going to hold tight for now. So the prologue. This book starts off with like, ah, bang. I read the prologue. I was like, okay, I'm going to be reading this book. So I wasn't ready to like start reading the book, but I was like, I'll just read the prologue. It has a prologue. I'll just get a little taste. And I read the prologue and I was like, (gasps) Gosh, I need to read this book. <laughs> um, it it was just so gripping. Like I had, like it is probably the best prologue I have ever read. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Cressley's writing is like that. So yeah, I'm really excited for you to jump into her other series because they're all they're all gripping like that. You get jumped in at a part that is just so tantalizing, and you're like, I need to know what happens. And at some points, um, you kind of jump back to that point. Yeah. Because it is a story. In the prologue, we find out that it is a story being told. So the entire book is someone telling the story up until the point of the prologue. Yes. So you do get tiny little flashbacks to kind of keep you excited because the tone and the setting and everything shifts when you jump into chapter one. Yeah. It's like a very different world, yes. the prologue versus chapter one. Yes. It's jarring. So, But then you know, you're like, wait. Mm-hmm. You're like, how? How does I it mu- get from I here to here? I must read more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's so different. You're like, how in in one book, how do we get from prologue to How could it have gone from that to that, right? I do know that some people were, or at least I've I've read some reviews, and some people were very upset by that. Because the book itself covers 252 days, Mm -hmm. which is around eight months. And 
it's like you have this intense prologue and then you jump back in time eight months and all of a sudden it's like she's Evie's heading to high school and you're like okay sorry what <laughs> like after you read the prologue to jump into like high school of this like popular rich pretty girl getting ready for her like first day of grade 12 I think I think that's where she's yeah. at in school and you're just like I'm sorry what's happening <laughs> and it, it kind of stays that way for like maybe the first 10 to 12 chapters you're like you're just reading about a girl in high school and you're like, did I just jump into Sweet Valley High? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> and I, I think some people were upset by that. But I think hmm. my personal opinion is that it is necessary yeah. to understand Evie in that setting, to understand her growth. It is. And, and Jack, because mm -hmm. it's laying the foundation for who she is and where she's at in life and how that's going to affect how she behaves and what her decisions are in the future when, mm -hmm. when faced with like nearly impossible odds, right? And Jack, he's, you know, he's at a very different, he's in, he lives in a different world altogether from Evie, even before mm -hmm. the flash. And, and then we also learn again, like, how that affects the decisions he makes and how he behaves after they're faced with, with uh, the flash. And I think it's extremely important to lay that foundation for the rest of the story. And it is a very small piece of the story. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think it needs to happen because if not, if you're, if we started at the flash, we wouldn't get a sense of who these people were before. And I think that's really that would also take away some of the, like, I can relate with this because, you know, like, we all knew someone like Evie's best friend, Mel, or you knew of someone like her mm -hmm. and, 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 and stuff like that. And just even the idea that, you know, she has this home that she loves and like, you know, although like you and I, we live in a very different place compared to where it began in the mm -hmm. book, you do get that sense of like, home and roots right yes um, so and and there's a sense of familiarity with the the whole high school thing like most people in in North America at least do that you know so mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important even so you have something to relate to otherwise it's it's just a bit like oh okay this is <laughs> you know there, there would be, it, there'd be so much less depth without those chapters I hundred percent agree and I think also like rounding the fact that she is a 16-year-old girl mm -hmm. who eight months ago was in high school and now yeah. she's in the middle of an apocalypse doing these intense like things, like in intense yeah. situations, fighting for yeah. her actual life. Yeah. It's like you need to remember she's 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> like, she's just, she is a, she's just, just a, a little baby. She's a kid. Yeah. 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 And I think exactly. so, like people often I think forget – characters and like expect them to behave in unrealistic ways which like yeah they're characters they're not real people mm -hmm. but she is still 16 so we have to understand yeah. that she has a, a brain of a 16 year old exactly and I think like because I have seen online too like people are kind of hard on Evie's character can be not everybody mm -hmm. but some people can be and I think it's it's also funny because then on the other side of that you get people who kind of um I you know, rib or joke around about how like, oh, you know, in, in these books, it's always like 
a post-apocalyptic. It's a female main character. She's beautiful. Um, she's she's fragile, but also strong. And and you know, it's almost like a trope, right? Mm-hmm. But with Evie, she's sort of outside of that trope because she does have some pretty good flaws, but she's also very very like I think quite wise for her age considering her age right now if she was like a 35 year old woman we'd be like girl yeah (laughs) questioning some of these decisions (laughs) yeah but she's 16 and so I think considering that she's a 16 year old girl who Mm -hmm. you know I think she's doing pretty good (laughs) yeah I yeah I can't imagine myself at 16 being put in that situation I'm sure I'd make much worse decisions. <laughs> she's very care- careful about her, um, like her character. She's very, like, even though she's in this post-apocalyptic si- situation, she's still thinking very carefully about um, when she wants to lose her virginity and, and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's not just jumping into anything without thinking. And I think as a 16-year-old girl, that's that's like a pretty admirable quality. Sorry, I want to clarify, like, I'm not saying y'all need to be virgins <laughs> at 16. I'm not saying that. That's not, not not what I mean. I mean, she's being thoughtful about decisions that she's making that she knows will impact her in some way. Even though, like, there's probably other things that maybe are more important to think about when you're in an apocalypse. It's like, but that is still something she has to live with. Like, any decision she makes about herself and her body, that's something she has to live with forever. So it's like, yeah. yes maybe in a life and death situation that doesn't seem important. It's like, but it still is. Cause like mentally that decision will, you know, affect however her. you choose to handle it, it'll affect her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And kind of talking about her like mental well-being and mental health. She at the beginning was in a mental health facility. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but she was sent there because she was having hallucinations and she was being reprogrammed. And that was like a huge part of her story too. Like this part, like the fact that because we go from a very realistic, real world, she's going to high school, Mm -hmm. she's experiencing these hallucinations and then drawing out her like visions and then ends up going to this facility. It's like that is like we needed to have that part too. Like so to have this background of her story, yeah. like without this piece and her grappling with her mental state yeah it completely would have changed how we view Evie well absolutely and also it's it's incredibly important to the plot as well Mm -hmm. um we needed we needed that for the plot so you know if again if we had jumped in right at the flash and we didn't know she'd been having these hallucinations it would have been more like a what's going on I have no idea what's going on my gosh I have these superpowers you would almost have to assume that the flash gave her those powers um, yeah. without that backstory, right? Uh, so, like, it's extremely important to the overall plot, like, the o- overall, like, underlying thing of the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I'd have to super-duper disagree with people who don't enjoy those chapters. Sorry that you didn't enjoy them, but they're necessary, mm-hmm. and they're included for a reason. Yeah. No, I completely agree that it's... This story just simply wouldn't make sense. And I don't think like major, major events that happen specifically with Evie's like transformation at the end of this book 
mm-hmm. it's it just comes together so nicely. Yeah, it does. So again, like going along that mental health vein that we were in, um, Jack has a drinking problem. He's He's got a major drinking problem. And yes, when I first read the series, I was a little bit younger. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, he's got a drinking problem. He's a rough and tumble guy. He had a rough upbringing. But now like coming from a place where, you know, I'm older now, I'm looking mm-hmm. at Jack and going, my God. God, like he is so young to be an alcoholic. <laughs> I was a hundred percent in denial about the fact that he was a actual alcoholic. Yeah, all throughout Poison Princess, I was like, oh, it's not actually alcohol he's drinking because one, he's literally drinking out of a flask at school. I'm like, I'm sorry, where are your teachers? Yeah. How is he just just in the hallway taking sips in the classroom, like sipping it back? Like, who's monitoring this situation? <laughs> So for that, I was like, oh, it must not actually be alcohol. He must just like be like, oh, it's cool to carry a flask. And then I was like, oh, no, it has to do with like he's special too, like Evie, because we know Evie's special. We just don't know why or how. But she has these, you know, these visions and this stuff that's going on. And we're like, it's kind of like at the beginning, you're like, is it real? Is it in her head? Like you are left with that kind of like question of like what is actually going on. Right. Yeah. And then, so I was convinced that Jack didn't actually have a drinking problem, that he was drinking something to suppress his own, like, I thought he also had hallucinations and was, like, suppressing them and, like, kind of made an elixir to... Okay, yeah. That that is completely wrong. (laughs) We don't... But do we know that, though? I mean... I I feel as though once we get to know Jack more and his backstory more, it is more alluded to that is a coping mechanism rather yeah. like a coping mechanism for his past rather yeah. than a supernatural his, ability. His very rough and abusive um, upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I feel as though I'm discovering anything could be possible in this book. So yeah, jury's out on whether or not the drinking is, has more to do with something supernatural or otherwise. <laughs> Yes. Or if it has to do with, like, his very human, very real traumatic upbringing. Right. Do you feel as though Evie and Jack are trauma bonded? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, yeah. Like, they have to be in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's sort of almost you know, if that's true, if that's true, maybe I'm, maybe we're wrong, you know, mm-hmm. Cressley, are they trauma bonded? <laughs> um, no, like, I think definitely like that would, but it would be beneficial because it, it helps, it help like in this particular situation. Um, because can you imagine trying to survive the flash by yourself and being out there like an Evie too, like, especially before she kind of learns she's got like these powers, right? Mm-hmm. Just being like, what's real? What isn't real? Like, she she would be in a really bad position, like, you know, like with her mom and what happened to her mom and stuff. Because if it wasn't for Jack, the AZ would have just come and got them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I'm because I guess it speaks more to like the progression of their relationship as the story continues. But I found it interesting that, like, just, like, everything they've gone through and, like, 
where their relationship ends up going. So are you saying you're wondering if like the only reason they kind of fell in love is because of a trauma bond? Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I'm wondering how much of a role it plays in it. I think we... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was was actually going to say, I think Jack kind of felt like fell in infatuation with Evie when he saw her in the convertible with Brandon. But yeah. then again, we then learn more about Jack's past and find out, yeah, something else. So, hmm. Their relationship is complicated to say the least. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Near the end of the book, we finally get back to kind of where the prologue happens and Evie ends up having this major, major transformation, which was just like so awesome. But she throughout, she's like seeing the Red Witch and yeah. she's like kind of starting to question like, who is this Red Witch? Like in her visions that we've been talking about. And my first reaction was like, is this some sort of like doppelganger situation? Kind of like Vampire Diaries with like Elena and Catherine. Yeah. Like I was like that's the vibe I was getting was like that there were like, yeah, doppelgangers. Yeah. Was that did did you have any theories? I can remember when I first read it and the red witch thing. To me, it was very obvious that it was her power that was rising up. But um, I put putting yourself in Evie's shoes for a second. If you were having these visions and you'd be like, you you would not want to think that that was you somehow, mm-hmm. right? Like you yeah. would not want to be like, oh my gosh, I am like this completely sadistic murderer, this like super creepy, like vine wielding, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. you would be in denial too. So yeah, to me, it was obvious that it was like her, just her power. But the way that Evie refers to the Red Witch is very much a separate entity of herself. Yeah, no, completely. It's like she's like a Jacqueline and Hyde situation almost. Well, I think it's really interesting that um, because at the end of the book, when she kind of unleashes the Red Witch, right? Um, <laughs> what an epic, like very, very gory, but what an epic, like the way yeah. she she tore the hermit apart arthur apart right mm-hmm. that's pretty that's pretty gory <laughs> yeah it was visually like appealing in the sense that the story itself was really like coming alive but also at the same time very visually grotesque yeah but so, like depending on but but after having known like what he was a serial killer mm-hmm. that was very satisfying because yes i absolutely right? had no love lost for no, the hermit no. like I was like, like it was like you're you fully like yeah Evie like yeah. yes it was very satisfying but then when Jack like saw her like that it's like oh is he gonna be able to you know how past? I imagined it <laughs> if they ever made this into like a show adaptation mm-hmm. was like like she's standing there on the porch and like you know the vines mm-hmm. and then it tears and like you can see his body and then it tears him apart and it's almost uh. like the yeah, way that I imagined stringy. it was like it tears him apart stringy, but it's out of focus. And as her oh. vines like reveal, it's Jack standing there with his shocked look on yeah. his face. That's how I was picturing. It. I was mm-hmm. like, that would be that would be really cool. <laughs> At one <laughs> point, they were going to make this into either a movie series or a TV series. Like the rights were bought for that to happen in like 2015 or something. Oh, really? But it never happened. 
Oh, come on. It would be yeah. so good. It's such a cool concept. It's so different. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to see it come to life. I uh, actually bought the tarot card deck that um, I, I looked it up. There is, for those of you who don't know and who are fans of Cressley Cole, there is a really good Facebook group called Cressley Cole After Dark. And um, it is run by Cressley Cole's, I think she's her assistant. And so you can actually like post things. They all go through Naomi. She is like the moderator of the group. And so she, you know, she will or will not allow the post, but you can actually ask questions and she will do her best to get you those answers. And so if you guys are huge fans of Cressley Cole, but don't know about that group, check it out because it is awesome. We will provide the link to it in our show notes and Mm -hmm. or if you're on YouTube in the description. At the very end, if I'm remembering it correctly, we do find out that the whole tarot thing, as you mentioned, like you bought the tarot card deck. And it's because each of the, well, not everyone in the story, but there are characters in the story who represent the tarot cards and Evie in her transformation is revealed to be the Empress, which you kind of obviously suspect along the way, but it's like, no, no, she is. So apparently Cressley used the Rider Waite tarot deck as just like inspiration. Um, So it's not like, strictly conforming to it but Mm -hmm. if you're curious that is the deck that she used for inspiration so I purchased a deck so I could have a close look at each of the cards and it is so interesting looking at because you know it is mentioned that their tableau kind of comes up and flashes above them and shows each time a major arcana comes across another major arcana and they see the tableau and so Mm -hmm. I was kind of picturing like you know the cards that are actually in that tarot deck. Cause there's quite a few different tarot decks out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel as though this is one of the original kind of iterations of the tarot. Yes. Yes. Um, so there's the Trump cards, which are the major arcana cards. And then mm-hmm. there's the minors. And so the minors are mentioned like the cups, the swords, the pentacles. Um, they're kind of like mentioned in the story Mm-hmm. Whether they're going to play a more significant part or not, we have yet to find out. So should we talk about the rules of the game that we sort of kind of know at this point? Mm-hmm. Well, I think at this point we know that it is a game that is being played. So the, each of the major, like, so all the major arcana cards are represented by a teenager, So we know that it's always like a teenager and that it is a sort of fight to the death situation that happens cyclically, like, but like with thousands of years in between. Yes. And there's always some kind of large cataclysmic sort of event that precedes them to honor a particular card. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we're thinking about the flash we, again, don't know the story's reason for the flash yet. I gave like a potential reason. If it was a solar flare, so to speak, maybe mm-hmm. it was in honor of the sun card. Mm-hmm. Is there also a star card or is it just a sun card? Yeah, there's a star card, I think. Yeah. So I guess it could be either because the sun is right. technically a star. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then each of the arcana have some sort of power. 
they some of the powers seem to overlap some of them are very unique to the specific card mm-hmm. and it the powers that i guess cressley has kind of given each of the characters i think are also kind of reminiscent of like if you look on the card yeah the powers make sense to the imagery on the cards which is yeah really cool. you can see where she took inspiration from the cards for the powers mm-hmm. um so that's yeah it's kind of cool and then I think some of them are just like regular, you know, healing powers, strength, speed, like, you know, typical powers you would find in people who are superhuman or supernatural. Yeah. It sort of seems like they have, well, not obviously not all of them have because Evie does not seem to have super strength or super endurance mm-hmm. or anything like that, does she? Like she struggles physically trying to keep up with Jack. The moon card, who we meet in this book, Selena. Mm-hmm. She is super fast, super strong, but she also does the archery thing. So, yeah. and and she's that is it's super naturally good at that as yeah. well, right? Yeah, and they also seem to have some sort of like other power. Like she's the bringer of doubt. That's kind of yes. like her. I don't know nickname. I don't know. It's like her thing is she's the bringer of doubt. I don't know how to put a title on what that is, but she can make people around her doubt themselves and their beliefs and stuff like that so they also seem to have this other i don't know arcana power on top of their no you're right because although evie does the plant thing right Mm -hmm. she also um she has the poison it's the poison but like it's her whole come touch but you'll pay a price she has like a luring like a like layered on top like so it's like mm-hmm. okay so there's the bringer of doubt and then she's like oh, what she can have people that? kind of become infatuated with her she yeah. can induce a sense of infatuation that people are drawn to her mm-hmm. at the end of poison princess we're left with a few questions and one thing i will say being a few books in is that a lot of the questions that you kind of have at the end of one book a, a lot of them get answered within the next book or the next few books we know yes. the answers to these questions, so we're not necessarily going to like try and guess them because we know the we answers. We know them, yeah. <laughs> but for someone, if you are someone who's kind of this is where you're at in reading the Arcana Chronicles, you might be wondering things like why are the women hit harder than the men, which we've already kind of mentioned, and I guess we don't know the answer to that one. I just wanted to mention that we haven't talked about death yet, and he is a voice that is very prominent in Evie's head, and he kind of taunts her throughout this whole mm-hmm. story. So another question we're kind of left with is like, why is death sort of um, singling Evie out with his, I want to say bullying, (laughs) but it's like worse than that because he's like, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's very much targeting her. Evie's at this point in the story, super struggling with the fact that she and the Red Witch are one in the same, that the Mm -hmm. Red Witch is like her power. Mm -hmm. So kind of how that is going to play out as the story progresses, how much she's going to embrace yeah. that side of her. So can she embrace it and still be Evie or will she transform into something unrecognizable? Because mm-hmm. when she's a red witch, like when she's Evie, she's blonde, blue eyed. When she is the red witch, she has she red hair. She physically transforms. Uh, yeah, she has red hair and she gets these like almost like tattoos. They're called glyphs, I think. Yeah, the glyphs. All over her body. Mm-hmm. which she can be Evie and have the glyphs, but when she's the Red Witch, they're like, it's like actually vines on yeah. her. Where I, 
uh, what I picture when she's Evie is it's more like a, a glimmery tattoo. And then right. when she transforms, they become like a more tangible vine. Right. The Red Witch sounds uh, very cool in a slithery kind of way. <laughs> it almost gives like Enchantress, but mm. instead of black smoke, like plants. like Yeah. And one thing I was like super questioning because at the end of this story, uh, Evie kills the hermit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what happens when they die? Because we know it's a cycle. So I'm like, yeah. how, how do they come back? Yes. Very <laughs> interesting <laughs> to contemplate. And I, I think the, what the explanation ends up being is really cool and really intriguing. Yes, it is. Well, I think that's all we have today for you for Poison Princess. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and our first episode regarding the Arcana Chronicles series. We are super excited to dive deeper into the series as we continue to read more about Evie and Jack. In our next episode, we will be discussing the second book in the Arcana Chronicles, Endless Nights. So thanks again, and we hope to see you then. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.